Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 335 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going this Monday, Richard? Hey, Seth, doing well. How are you doing? Uh, I am uh, melting from some incredible heat and humidity in upstate New York, but other than that, I'm doing uh, doing pretty well today. Krim, we have another co-host. How are you? Is it is it hot out in California this week as well? Oh, yes. Actually, I was uh, just driving back from Los Angeles and the hills were on fire, or at least by the grapevine. So, and like the fire was moving down towards the freeway and it was pretty close. So it's hot. And I have to turn my fan off. So it's <laughs> so, even hotter. So speaking of the fire thing, and then uh, we're a magic podcast. We'll get into it. Is that normal out there? Like as someone from New York, all I hear about is like constant wildfires in California. Uh, do eventually you like get desensitized and you're just driving to L.A. and you're like, oh, like there, there's another fire coming towards the road. That's, you know, Tuesday. That like, was. Is, is it just normal? That was kind of how, like how it felt looking at it. Just like, up, oh, it's fire season starting up. And so, yeah, yeah it's like, kind of scary. It is. It is a little bit scary. But yeah, well, hopefully it's not as bad this year. I mean, although unlikely. Well, anyway, we're here to talk about magic, not wildfires. And we have some <laughs> interesting topics this week. We have our first look at one of the big new mechanics from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. So we're going to talk some new AFR cards. We have some Moto news about Modern Horizons 2. We have some Arena event news with a look at some fixed versions of banned cards for an upcoming Arena event. So we're going to talk about that, answer some fish mail. But before we get into that, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And Card Conduit, you've probably heard about them from us before. They're a great way to sell your magic collection, and they are offering a new service geared towards smaller batches of valuable cards with a reduced service fee. With their curated shipment service, you can sell your cards at the best available buy list price with only a 5% service free. And as with all of Card Conduit services, you don't got to sort your cards, you don't got to grade them, you can just safely package them up, ship them out, and of course you'll get a detailed report with the results so you can check out Card Conduit's curated shipment option as a way to buy list up to 150 cards with fast processing, optimized prices, and the low, low service fee of just 5%. And right now, you can even get a 10% discount by going to cardconduit.com goldfish. So Card Conduit, they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards. So thanks so much to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And let's talk adventures in the forgotten realm so richard we got spoilers kind of they're all around a new mechanic of venturing and dungeons why don't you try to guide us through these interesting cards all right um so disclaimer we're about to explain some very complicated things uh it's best <laughs> if you actually look at the cards uh you can find them mtgpreviews.com or whatever your favorite site is uh, but i'll try my best to explain the mechanics so uh, we're going to start off with uh, a new rare that has the new venture slash dungeon mechanic, and then we'll talk about the mechanic itself. So Nadar Selfless Paladin is a three drop, uh, two and a white, three, three, legendary creature, Dragon Knight. So Dragon Knight type. Uh, Vigilance, when Nadar enters a battlefield or attacks, venture into the dungeon. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one, as long as you've completed a dungeon. Now... 
With this set, there are three dungeon cards slash tokens. Uh, so these are not cards that go in your deck. Uh, you put them with your sideboard, but they don't count as your sideboard. So think of them as tokens or emblems to help you keep track of the dungeon mechanic. Now, each dungeon, there's only three, and uh, there will only be three. So Wizards has confirmed, like, there's not going to be any more preview. There's none showing up in Commander decks. These are the three we get for the mechanic. Uh, they are like D&D dungeons. They have a path. Some of them fork off. Uh, you can only go forward, and as you enter each room, you get an ability, right? And to progress through the dungeon, you need to venture using, you know, magic cards with the venture mechanic. And when you complete the dungeon, uh, you may get a bonus uh, depending on the cards you're playing. So we'll start off with Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, it starts off at trapped entry. Each player loses one life. It forks. Uh, the first fork is Oubliette. Discard a card and sacrifice an artifact a creature, and a land. Uh, the other fork has two chambers, Veil of Fear, each player loses two life unless they discard a card, Sandfall Cell, each player loses two life unless they sacrifice an artifact, a creature, or a land, and then both paths go into the last chamber, which is Cradle of the Death God, Create the Atropol, a legendary 4-4 black god horror creature token with death touch. So... Shortest path is three, but you have to sacrifice a whole bunch of stuff. Full path is four. So that's one card. Uh, the, the next dungeon is Lost Mine of Fandelver. Okay, first base ability, cave entrance, scry one. It forks a goblin lair, create a 1-1 one, one goblin creature token. Uh, that forks into the third level, which is storeroom. Put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. Each opponent loses one life. You gain one life. Uh, and then the last one is Temple of Dumathoin. Dumathon. Dumathoin. Draw a card. <laughs> Go back all the way back to cave entrance. You could have taken the mine tunnels. Create a treasure token. Uh, that forks into Dark Pool, which is the drain everyone, or Fungi Cavern. Target creature gets minus four, minus zero until your next turn. That is only the medium dungeon. <laughs> the last dungeon is Dungeon <laughs> of the Mad Mage with uh, one, two, three, four, five, six tiers. Uh, Yawning Portal, you gain one life. D goes directly into Dungeon Dragon, scry one. There's two forks. Uh, Goblin Bazaar, create a treasure token. Uh, that feeds into Lost Level, Scry 2. Uh, lost Level forks again into Runestone Caverns, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play them. Uh, or uh, Muriel's Grave, create two 1-1 one, one Black Skeleton Creature Tokens. That combines into Deep Minds, Scry 3. The last level of the dungeon is draw three cards, reveal them. You may cast one of them without paying its mana cost. And then the only thing we didn't touch was, I think dungeon level had a fork in it. Twisted Caverns target creature can't attack until your next turn. But if basically <laughs> the longest dungeon at the end, you draw three, you get to play one for free. <laughs> oh, did you guys wow. understand that, any of that? So much yeah. text. So, surprisingly, I am looking yes. at the cards. <laughs> I'm looking at the cards, which helps a lot. Like really, truly, like. I'm sure it's very confusing to just hear that read out. If you look at them, it is a lot more intuitive. So look them up on MTG previews or whatever and uh, follow along with what Richard's saying, and it'll probably actually make sense to you. 
So, yeah. so they're all minor effects, right? Like scry one, create a goblin token. Uh, and then as you progressively get lower into each dungeon, they become more powerful, right? One of them is like draw a card. One of them is draw three, play one for free. Or like scry three, create a four, four creature token with death touch. Uh, so you get rewarded. And then on top of that, your actual cards get rewards for completing the dungeon. Um, and yep. also note, you can't go back. So once you've choose the fork, you can't like go back and go the other way. Uh, your opponents can't interact with this in any way. Uh, it's just like a token or an emblem. Like they can't like disenchant it or anything like that. Like you just go through your dungeon and you you have access to all three at all times, uh, as long as you haven't started a dungeon. So the first time you start a dungeon, you can choose which dungeon to start and then follow through to completion. So and then all the way back to our three you drop. can start again. Yeah. Yes. A three man oh. three three that pumps as long as you complete a dungeon, it attacks uh, or ventures on attack or ETB. I think this I think that. Oh, go ahead, Grim. Go ahead. I think this mechanic first off is very cool. Um, I think this is such a sick uh, uh, mechanic, and like Nadar seems like that. That if if things are triggering you to get through the uh to like venture and whatnot and get through a dungeon every time it enters the battlefield and attacks i think this is a lot of value added in like nadar seems really good or, or is that just me i mean like i know this seems like it's kind of slow because essentially you have to it depends right because i mean eldraine will be here so a lot of this won't matter but I th- like the thing here is i am excited to see or well eldraine, no yeah eldraine will still be here uh but like i am excited to see what it's like because what is it, the shortest path is three levels three tiers and it seems like that's the best one to have for an to go through on a, an aggro deck uh the mad mage one seems great for a control deck uh, so there's just a lot here, and like I, I'm excited to see what else happens with venturing. Um, the, but but Nadar seems good. Nadar seems sweet. Yeah, and there there are payoffs for completing the dungeons too, like Nadar, and we've seen some other ones as well. I think it's so difficult to evaluate this mechanic without seeing more of it because it is, in my opinion, like peak parasitic mechanic like venture interacts with dungeons dungeons interact with venture they don't really interact with anything else so the mechanic is either going to be strong enough to be if it is strong i think it's going to be very strong on the other hand like if the venture cards maybe nader's the the best of the bunch if that's like the most efficient best one and the rest of them are mostly like draft chaff then maybe you're not venturing in standard. I tend to lean on the side that I expect this mechanic to be really good. It's hard for me to imagine that Wizards is going to make a set focused on D&D, in part probably to advertise one of their other IPs in D&D, and they're going to have this like dungeon mechanic be the big thing that they spoiled first, and then they're going to make all the cards so bad that they're unplayable in standard. So my guess, this ends up being... A pretty strong, if not right now, with Eldraine still out, because Eldraine is just like off the charts broken. But if not right now, I expect this to be a strong mechanic after rotation. But that's with the asterisk that we really got to see how many venture cards there are, how good they are. Are they like energy? Like energy, it reminds me of energy in the sense that like you have this 
mechanic that's kind of a resource that your opponent can't interact with at all and you could just play a ton of venture cards and try to rush through dungeons as quickly as possible similar to building up your energy and spinning an etherworks marvel or something are we gonna have like rogue refiners and other cards that are like hey this is already a good card and it just happens to make energy for some reason or are the cards gonna have a, a tax on them similar to maybe learn lesson where you're tutoring out three mana lightning bolts instead of two mana lightning bolts so you're paying a tax for like the flexibility it offers my guess that it is that it's going to be good but ah, it's still it's just so hard to evaluate with like a tiny handful of venture cards to look at so far yeah so yeah. i really like the flavor of these cards you know it that down to the look what they look like how they feel it really does feel like you're you're dungeon crawling so i absolutely love that part what i don't like is the color pie break uh these cards have no cost associated with them there's no color there's no deck restriction uh so what that means is your mono white deck can play or can use dungeon of the mad mage which has a straight up draw three cards reveal them cast one of them without paying its mana cost um in practicality you could play like say white weenie play tomb of annihilation 99 of the time that's the shortest path gets you a four four and then for, you know, if you match up against Mono Red or something and you're the Go Long deck, you switch into White Weenie Control by dungeoning up the Mad Mage and scrying three and drawing three cards and, and going long. That feels weird. I don't know how I like that. I think that makes the mechanic incredibly strong, though. Uh, I can imagine they put, like, let's say they put a Search for Canta type land where it's just like a land you pay two to venture or something. Like, I could see people playing that. Uh, without the rest of the venture mechanic just to you know randomly go through the dungeon of mad mage with your land uh, or like maybe like a snapcaster type creature like just like a really dorky creature that probably won't get there by itself but as a control deck you just slap it down and then just keep attacking to venture and like go through your dungeon uh, so i don't know I, I feel it's parasitic but it's not that parasitic like a single card with venture is enough Right, a repeatable source of venture is enough for you to play it, and if they make a card strong enough, I, I think it go back to to see play in like non-standard formats. So it's going to depend on what we see, uh, but I think the actual palette in here, we need a curve. Like if we had a Doom Traveler followed by like a two-drop venture into this thing, I think that'd be a pretty good curve where you could sack it to Oubliette, still have a creature uh, on your. When you actually untap an attack, you actually get your anthem off, get a 4-4. Four, four, uh, I would assume they have a 2-drop venture creature. Hopefully it's playable. I mean, with a food deck or something like that, it's not hard for you to sack an artifact or a creature and, like, and a land. You don't, you don't have, you, like, if you don't have the artifact, you don't have to sack it. Yeah. yeah. Do you? Just Armageddon yourself and then you're good. <laughs> <laughs> don't have to sack the land. <laughs> I... I I think Oubliette, like that, that Tomb of Annihilation, that seems pretty solid in a sacrifice deck. So, yeah, and it is just the shortest pathway if if you just care about having a dungeon complete we we have some other cards that are maybe not super constructed play but well like dungeon crawlers like a grave crawler that comes back from your graveyard when you complete a dungeon so like that's another payoff or uh, so it's gonna depend like maybe there's enough of these cards that you just want to complete a dungeon maybe that's a theme of your deck because you, all your cards are going to be doing these insane things if a dungeon's completed and then going through your obliga and getting there quickly 
that doesn't sound that bad. Like one drop, two drop, three drop, if they all had venture ETB, like we don't know that those cards will exist, but that would complete a dungeon by itself if you're willing to go through Obliet, which is actually potentially pretty powerful. If it, also, the other thing about this mechanic is it's really flexible. I really like the flexibility. Like if you're an aggro deck, Tomb of Annihilation gives you a lot of ways to potentially damage your opponent. Like worst case, you're having each player lose one with the very first venture, and then you're ending with a four, four, which is a good threat so if you're trying to aggro that seems like an easy choice but if you're a control deck or trying to stabilize you have dungeon of the mad mage we're going to gain some life you're going to do some scrying you're going to make it so a creature can't attack you so there is a lot of flexibility i think that's inherent in how this mechanic is designed if anything i'm worried that the mechanic could end up being too strong rather than not strong enough uh, obviously that's super speculative but but i think the mechanic uh, has potential to be really strong i mean yeah yeah, like I as as you know mentioned earlier, I I just don't see this sucking because you know the entire thing about this D and D set is you know well adventuring and through dungeons and, and like you know all that stuff, right? So I mean like that, there's no way something like that so w- would just be terrible. So <laughs> I, 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 oh, oh, big monsters <laughs> mutate. <laughs> Okay, okay, but but mutate that doesn't count. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. Okay, like that's not that's not real. <laughs> and mutate ended up being good. It took forever, but people are playing mutate tournament decks now, so it got there eventually. Eventually, yeah. But yeah, I I think that a lot of this like it will require Eldraine to leave. I I I, I don't know. I still feel that way, but uh, we'll we'll see what happens when after release. Yeah, uh, I think I think Mad Mage is the best dungeon. But that point is moot because you get access to all three dungeons at all times, right? So you yeah. can choose whatever you want. But that thing has a a draw two at Runestone, uh, Runestone Caverns, a scry three, a draw three, a scry two, a scry one, create a treasure. Like they're all actually really good. Like you might actually spend mana and a card for some of these levels. Uh, so there's a lot of card advantage into Mad Mage. And I feel like that's the card that's going to break the mechanic if so like this is the one that everyone will get normally where you just have this really powerful engine that people can't interact with um so we'll see how the cards play out but there's a lot of card advantage in mad mage dungeon yeah i I would say that would be the the best of the bunch too just like in the dark but it really depends on the scenario and part of what makes the mechanic potentially powerful is uh, in some scenarios like maybe you're getting dungeon of the mad mage 80% 80% of the time, but then that other 10%, you're going to really want the Tomb of Annihilation to close out the game, or maybe the Lost Mine of Fandelver, because you, I don't know, that that one's kind of bad. I don't know why, why would you ever get Lost Mine of Fandelver? Like, what is what is the upside of that one? Like, can you ever imagine choosing that one it's over the other options? But at only four levels? <sighs> yeah. You, like, you, you want to complete the dungeon, but not as crazy as Tomb of Annihilation. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I guess I could see that. Yeah. I guess that would be the upside is if you care a lot about having a dungeon complete, you can complete it in just four levels without going through Obliet and sacrificing all your stuff. So if you can't afford to sacrifice it, it's probably a better option to just have a dungeon complete than Tomb of Annihilation, I'd say. I mean, it's ramp for everybody, right? You could make a treasure token. So yeah, that color pie implications are very interesting that as Richard mentioned earlier, like, wow, now everyone can ramp, everyone can draw cards, everyone can omniscience or do these things that traditionally are associated with only some colors rather than all colors. I mean, there's also some fairly generic ones, like everyone can scry or whatever, but it'll be interesting. And I wonder if that'll be, that'll make these cards 
very playable in commander like in commander i guess we'll have to see if there's a critical mass of venture cards uh, it being only from one set right now might be a problem like can you build a mono white venture deck will it be even be enough venture cards that exist in white to build a deck out of it in commander maybe not but being able to get like card draw in your mono white deck ramp in your mono white deck it does do a lot of things that people have been asking for for white in commander if you can actually have enough venture cards to pull it off consistently all right uh so that's a dungeon mechanic uh we have more dungeon cards though i mean the set is called Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we have Eliwick Tumblestrom, a new planeswalker. Uh, two green green, four starting loyalty. Uh, legendary planeswalker Eliwick. Plus one, venture into a dungeon. Minus two, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. If it's legendary, you gain three life. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Minus seven, you get an emblem with creatures you control, have trample and haste, and get plus two, plus two for each differently named dungeon you've completed. Man, that emblem is interesting. I mean, this card is... <laughs> Potentially plus six, plus six yeah, trample haste. But if I, you manage to venture out of the middle three of Three dungeons. Like 12 yeah, times many, or many times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But on the bright side, you know, Eliwick uh, themselves also go venture through the dungeon right by just yep. plus one so that actually is a lot better than than i you know that than it may seem like holy cow you get to go and like example like that that could expedite your your or whatever dungeon of the mad mage uh it, this could really just speed stuff up and it's not like you know, the, these dungeons do nothing when you go through the levels. So you could potentially get a body out of this. You could potentially, you know, gain some life out of this. So that plus one is actually very flexible. Uh, so I, I think that's a pretty sweet, sweet card. And then imagine, like, actually using uh, Lost Mine of Fandelver and, and going Fungi Cavern to shrink a creature for a turn. So there, there's a lot that you could do with that plus one. Yeah, this is a really tricky Planeswalker to evaluate. It is maybe the narrowest Planeswalker that we've ever seen, at least on the short list. Like, you pretty much got to be caring heavily about Venture and Dungeons to even consider playing Eliwick. Like, without that being something your deck is interested in, I can't really imagine playing it. Like, if this is your only Venture card... I don't think that'd be worth it. On a dedicated venture deck, though, where your plan is to try to complete dungeons and get to that ultimate, Eliwake seems pretty strong as an option in that deck. My biggest concern, though, is really not great at protecting itself. You mentioned a couple of dungeon levels that can kind of do it, but even that, like, you can't hit those immediately uh, unless you have other venture cards that are coming down the same turn as Eliwake, which would probably be a challenge. So I'm a little worried that it's going to just come down venture and then get lovestruck beasted or ember cleaved or whatever because it doesn't really have a way to prevent itself from just immediately getting attacked so that would be my my concern with eliwick although in a dedicated adventure slash dungeon deck it seems like it could be a pretty reasonable top end of the curve and the ultimate is a really big payoff if you get to it yeah i mean it's just... exactly as you said it's kind of hard to like actually evaluate the card but yeah can't you just play this like in a non-venture deck, just a creature-heavy deck. Like, if you take that plus one, like, what is the average value? Like, a scry two? Like, let's say you always just take Mad Mage Dungeon. 
right? You scry one, you gain a life, you ramp, you scry two, you draw two, scry three. By the time you ultimate, like I'm pretty sure Mad Wizard's Lair is better than your ultimate, where you draw three cards and play one for free. Like, is that, does that make it playable? Like you didn't need to make a food deck to make Oko work, right? Like just making the food and elking it was good enough. Like, is this good enough as like some value off that plus one? And then you're mainly doing it for the minus two where you get to basically draw a creature from your deck. Uh, I'm, I'm skeptical. I think the big reason I'm skeptical is we have quite a few seemingly strong four mana planeswalkers in standard and they just really don't see much play. Like Teferi Master of Time is a really strong card that defends itself and generates card advantage and all this stuff. That doesn't really see play. Or like Elspeth's Sun's Nemesis, there's Liliana's and Narset's and just none of these Planeswalkers are really staples. And at a glance, Eliwick looks a little bit weaker than than the rest of the four mana Planeswalkers to me. So I guess my my thinking would be like, if Teferi Master of Time isn't good enough to be like a real staple and standard, is Eliwick going to be? I lean, I kind of lean towards no on that one. I, I The reason why I think that Eliwick would is because maybe dungeon, like finishing dungeons might matter or, or just getting it started, uh, depending on what's like in the set for uh, venturing and whatnot and like things that care about the dungeons. I think Eliwick could, it, Eliwick is definitely a, a role player. Yeah, well, yeah, I think if you're, if you're, uh, if you're buying a dungeon deck, I would agree with you. But just playing this in the dark, what do you think about that, Krim? Like, no other venture cards in your deck. You're just using Eliwick itself to try to go through the dungeons. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, that second ability, this is very much meant for a creature deck, right? So, yeah, not Krim decks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you won't see it in anything that I'd normally be playing. I don't know if I'm just plus wanting for a dungeon. Unless control gets like randomly this ream like 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 you know overhaul where it's just like bunch of control decks I have like all creatures and and I I don't know how that would be but yeah uh, otherwise I think this is very much so just a creature heavy uh, planeswalker deck. Your control deck has a creature. It's Cradle the Death God the four four. You just get two more oh, annihilation no, and aggro people no. down. <laughs> if 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 maybe like that minus two also said like look for like a land or something like that then then sure all right yeah. um last card uh is not really a card it's evolving wilds but it has a new frame it i don't know how to describe it it it's called classic module it looks like the old D D books it's like purple with uh yellow text and it's like old school art it has all kinds of extra text on it uh, like it says, Dungeon Module C7, Evolving Wilds, an adventure for character levels 1 to 4. What do you guys think of this new frame that definitely doesn't look like a magic card? It has extra text on it now. I, I Okay, this this looks like the most fake card I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but <laughs> like more, even more like fake than, than the, the metal cards, all the, the movie posters. This looks so fake. But... As somebody who has not t- played a, like, okay, I've played a little bit of d and I think I paid, played, like, half of a campaign. But as somebody who is not really, like, like familiar with the world of d and I think this thing looks awesome. It is so jarring and very weird to look at, but, but I love this, this art style. So, I, I mean, it, it appeals to me. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what it does for like, you know, non lands, like evolving wilds, uh, like sure. But like, imagine, 
they somehow found a way to get questing beast to have more text on it, right? Like, like if they if they make something like a questing beast or a Tiamat, but like in the this Dungeons and Dragons style or border, it, it's gonna be overwhelming to look at, but it just seems really cool. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I don't really have any nostalgia for d and I've never been a and d player, so I don't think I've ever even actually seen a dungeon module or whatever the book is. Uh, yeah, obviously, that's what I guessed that it was. It looks like a book. So yeah. I don't really have any nostalgia for it. I would say I think it looks pretty cool. I don't think this is like top tier showcase cards for me. I think like... Uh, the Ikoria, like comic book ones or Throne of Eldraine, uh, the like storybook ones. I think those are like the tip top tier of showcase cards. But I would say that these new dungeon modules or classic modules, whatever they're calling them, I think it, they're fine. I think solid mid tier showcase uh, style for me. I think it's the greatest card ever made. <laughs> I've played <laughs> zero Dungeons and Dragons, okay? But I do know what like 80s era books look like right and this definitely gives off that vibe and it's so weird that i need to have it right and we we have an upcoming uh commander clash podcast where uh you guys tell me not to play evolving wilds well forget that <laughs> like what if you have this sweet you know you know alternate art evolving wilds that has to go in your deck right we got to jam it in somewhere it looks so cool what do I do with it? I don't know. It's Evolving Wilds, but it's going into deck somewhere. Maybe they uh, just throw fetches in, and then, and then we get some uh, some pretty cool like dungeon module fetch lands that aren't Evolving Wilds. So, I mean, I like it. I would love my lands to look like this, but like, holy cow, is this sweet? I I wonder if this could be. Could this be like Mystical Archives? Like, we haven't really gotten much information about the set yet. Is there any chance that they're going to have like cool reprints? Or do you think it's all just going to be cards from the main set? We haven't really heard any gimmick for the set yet. Uh, and we've had some in other recent sets. So I keep wondering if they're going to have anything similar to Mystic Archives in the set or if they're just trusting that D&D is like that's enough of a pull on its own to uh, to sell the set. So as fetches would be very interesting in that border, though. I, w- yeah. I would love a <laughs> an old 80s book scalding tarn or whatever. I think you have to like play this and then and have. I don't know, synth wave or, or whatever, like in, in, in strange things. You have to like play it the whole time. You have to hear it or, or, or hotline Miami, like something along those lines. Right. But I, I'm curious, like, you know, what else they've got in this border? Like, is there going to be like an Ellie wick or, or, or some kind of planeswalker in this border? Like, or is this only lands and like maybe a spell? Because like, I, I, I think this would be just, such a cool thing and i don't know how you would do it as a planes blocker but i'd love to see it all right i think those are all the cards we have some random commons and uncommons but i don't think they're worth going over uh you can check out all the cards at mtgpreviews.com and of course previews start in earnest uh tomorrow so starting from tomorrow we're gonna get a lot of new dungeons and dragons cards yeah, so more spoilers coming up next couple of weeks, I think. We'll be in spoiler season, so we will have tons to talk about next podcast, I'm sure. But let's move on and uh, and hit up another topic. We got a little bit of Modern Horizons 2 news on Moto in specific, where apparently Modern Horizons 2 is so popular, it is overwhelming the loan programs. Uh, Card Hoarder recently announced that uh, they were suspending, I think is the uh, pausing new uh, 
applications for the loan program. So if you're already in the loan program, you're good. But if you're trying to get into it, they're pausing that for the time being. I guess the the other big loan program mana traders, uh, from what I've been hearing feedback wise, has been out of a lot of cards people wanted, where people have been complaining about not being able to get fetch lands or some of the hot new cards from Modern Horizons 2 because there's just not enough supply. What do you think about Modern Horizons 2? Like is is Moto back on the menu? Is Modern Horizons 2 like reinvigorating the modern format and Magic Online as a client? Is that is that where we're heading with this? Has it really been that big of a deal? I mean, Modern Horizons 2 is like a pretty sweet set, right? Like everybody's going to want to play with the cards. They all look amazing. They all look fun. Uh yeah, I I mean, also we all miss Modern, right? Like I mean, Modern kind of just fell off to the wayside for a little bit but but now it's like that we are focused on modern and with moto being the only way we can digitally play modern uh yeah no surprises there yeah i think so uh for for new players before all this commander hype okay modern was the darling format right modern was the most popular format uh modern horizons uh the original modern masters they've all always been great Except Wizards kind of messed up modern for the last like year or two years with all the new, you know new broken standard stuff. They fixed it with Modern Horizons too. So modern is in a really good spot again. And I think everyone who used to love modern is back on Moto playing it. And maybe even some new players. And the thing is, I don't think it's just Modern Horizons too. I think modern is actually legitimately good. So I expect it to keep going forward. And if like this upcoming standard is not good then uh, people will just keep playing modern. Like, they, there's no reason to go to standards. So I think this is normal. Will the bubble pop? I don't know. I don't know. Depends. But I, I've still been having a good time in modern. I think it's a pretty good format. Uh, so hopefully that continues and nothing dramatic happens. Fully agree with that. I've been having a blast playing modern too, and I think that it was it was kind of one of those perfect storm things where Modern Horizons 2 came out, it was absolutely awesome. Everyone loved it, super hyped for it. And just coincidentally, at the same time, Paper Magic is making its return and people are finally able to go to their modern FM again for the first time in over a year in some places. So I think adding those two things together has been really, really big for for modern's uh, recovery. And uh, yeah, I think that it's probably going to continue. I would not be surprised if we start hearing, like, they just announced a bunch of big flesh and blood tournaments. So, uh, competing TCGs are bringing back their, like, GP level events. I wouldn't be surprised that by this fall, maybe we're getting announcements about at least the beginning of next year for the return of Magic Fest, maybe SCG Tour returns. Uh, and those would probably very good for modern as well scg tour has supported modern for a long time i would assume they would go back to that so i think modern's in a in a great place and i think magic online is in a shockingly great place like we've been talking about the demise of magic online since arena became a thing really but here we are several years later and it just keeps chugging along and people keep playing it so uh so yeah i think both modern and magic online are in a really good spot right now the real test of if dungeons work correctly. <laughs> no way. No right? way. Like, Wizards is like, I, I give up on half of the C21 cards. We'll just give you some C21. Like, I wonder <laughs> if they give up on a, like, a standard set eventually. They're like, ah, forget dungeons. This is too difficult. <laughs> <laughs> 
maybe it'll be fine. But I, I definitely am a little nervous about how <laughs> how dungeons will work. Anyway, speaking of digital magic, uh, we have another digital client in Magic Arena. And Magic Arena is doing a very interesting upcoming special event where they're taking in taking cards that were banned over the last couple of years and nerfing them, changing them, erratting them, whatever, to theoretically make them a little bit more fair. And in that event, you can play those cards. Uh, Richard, what do you think about this event? Uh, anything I missed describing it? Uh, no, it's just it's an upcoming historic event where they have, quote unquote, fisk, uh, fixed historic cards. Uh, so there are two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve cards banned, uh, and I guess we'll just briefly talk about how they were fixed, and then we can talk about uh, the standouts here. So, Agent of Treachery. Uh, originally, uh, when it enters the battlefield, you gain control of target permanent. Now, you have to cast it from your hand. Uh, so, that's the difference. Field of the Dead uh, makes untapped zombie tokens at seven or more uh, different lands. Now they uh, enter play tapped. So your zombies are now tapped in the fixed version. Uh, Fires of Invention. Uh, also, also Field of the Dead is now legendary. Oh, oh yep. I missed that. Yep. Oh, wait, what? That's huge. Okay, yep, it's legendary. Yep. Thanks, Seth. Uh, Fires of Invention is now Red Red 3. So it's a double cast, uh, I think. And I then think that's it. There's a land clause? No, wait, no, that's the same land there clause. There was always a land clause. That's it. Yeah, okay. yeah that, that was always there. Uh, Nexus of Fate uh, now exiles itself. Uh, so you take a turn and then you exile itself. Also, uh, it doesn't shuffle into your, your library again if it hits your graveyard. Uh, our friend Oko here has been fixed. Uh, still cost, same cost, same starting loyalty. The plus, the plus two is now a plus one. So when you make a food token, it's plus one instead of plus two. Uh, I believe the rest is the same. Uh, no, 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 no. It's a minus. It's a minus two now to turn something into an elk. Wait, what? Yeah. Before, no. Before. No. Yes. Yes. Okay. It used to be a plus one to turn into an elk. Right. Now it's a minus two. Oh, they really gutted Oko. Okay. Um, thank you, Krim. Uh, Omnath. So... Omnath is, instead of drawing ETB, instead of drawing a card in the original version, it is now a scry one. Uh, and I believe the landfall triggers the exact same. Uh, I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah, the landfall triggers the exact same. So now it's just a scry one instead of a draw. Uh, once upon a time, uh, same card except your free cast is now one mana. One colorless? So that's pretty, One colorless. That's your generic. Sorry. Or one, one generic mana, not one colorless. One generic mana. Um, Teferi Time Raveler. Mr. Teferi is now... Uh, little Teferi is now 4 CMC. Uh, to offset that, starts at 5 loyalty. Uh, rest of the abilities are the same. Yes. So 4, four mana Teferi. Uh, we have our friend Uro here. So previously, um, when it enters the battlefield or attacks, you gain three life, draw a card, and you put a land into play. Uh, the land part is now gone. So when it enters the battlefield or attacks, you gain three life and draw a card. Uh, so no ramping for Uro. Veil of Summer, uh, same abilities. Now it's two CMC, uh, one generic and green. Uh, same abilities, so just increased mana costs. 
uh, Wilderness Reclamation. Instead of untapping all of your lands, uh, you get to untap two lands. Still for CMC. And then last is Winota. Uh, when Winota attacks, you look at the top four cards instead of the top six cards. Um, I believe the rest is the same. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. it's just four instead of six. So those are the nerfs. Some of them more extreme than the others. What do you guys think? What cards are now unplayable? What cards are pretty much basically the same? Uh, well, I, I think that cards that are pretty much going to still be very powerful are going to be uh, um, Teferi, uh, Veil of Summer. Uh, th- those two still seem very powerful, at, despite Teferi costing four now. Uh, I think that's still definitely something that I, I would pay four mana for. Uh, Veil of Summer still seems like something that would make me miserable and upset. So, uh, yeah, like it's still a good card. And Wilderness Reclamation seems un- kind of just awful. Like, like actually just awful. Um, and a thing that I, I, I'm, I'm not sure about, like for me right now, I think Agent of Treachery having to be cast from your hand is very huge. Right. Like I think that's, that's a way different because it can't be blinked anymore, you know, especially with it being rotated. It can't be like ephemerated, yada, yada, yada. It's got to be cast from your hand. So, but the fact here is that it is cast and not, uh, enters the battlefields. So that also does make it, I, th- that could actually balance it out because that means you are going to steal something as long as it's cast. So we'll, we'll see how much I that think- changes. I think it still has to enter the battlefield. Is when it? it enters the yeah, battlefield, enters, oh, wait, if you cast cast. it from your hand. So oh. yeah, it's not like an Eldrazi trigger. So it still does have to resolve too. Oh, then yeah, never mind. It's it's gotten I think that makes it worse. That makes it definitely worse. Field of the Dead just seems like it what it should have always been. Uh but <laughs> I, I think that Field of the Dead's still moderately powerful. Just it won't be like a a a four of, or maybe it will be, who knows? It wouldn't change anything in Commander with Fields yeah. of the Dead. I mean, this is <laughs> yeah. towards Historic, obviously, but it doesn't, it doesn't change the power level there at all. I think I mostly agree with uh, Crim's analysis. I think Teferi is still pretty busted. I do think Veil of Summer, it does get a decent amount worse. Leaving up two mana is a lot harder than leaving up one mana. I don't think it's unplayable, but I do think that is a is a pretty big difference. I also think Uro's still pretty insane. Like, sure, you don't get to ramp with that, but the ETB slash attack of gain three and draw a card and still being a 6-6 for three and all the other shenanigans, I think Uro is still really, really strong. I think Oko might be... Well, I think the card that got the biggest downgrade is definitely Wilderness Wreck. I think Wilderness Wreck is yeah. stone unplayable now. Like, no one plays Wilderness Wreck. Oko might be second on that list for me. Like, just changing around the the loyalty abilities where the plus one is one less. And then the or the plus two becomes a plus one. And then the plus one becomes a negative two. That is a huge, huge, huge shift. So you're not going to have these uh, plus make a food, plus make an elk, plus make a food, plus make an elk, which made Oko so incredibly unbeatable. I actually think this version of Oko... I think it would still see play, but I actually think it's it definitely would not be the greatest planeswalker of all time. And I don't even know if it'd be that strong if it had this uh, this setup. I I think that it would it's still pretty powerful. Uh, like e- even uh, like it, this minus two, it, it 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 hitting an artifact or a creature 
and just blanking it into a three three is still quite powerful. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's still not bad, but you lose the the steady stream of three three every turn. You can't just keep doing that. I remember yeah, those with like yeah. they up to fourteen loyalty because they just keep plussing and then elking and plussing, and you're like, oh my god, what do, how do, how do I ever deal fourteen damage to this Oko? Like it's just always gonna do this, and I can never get rid of it. So at least that aspect I think would be a little fair. You're not gonna have Okos with you know ten loyalty anymore, most likely. Also, is Omnath like really a, that big of a change? Because I mean, not not drawing a card, sure that that's pretty pretty big there. But like, I do feel like Omnath and the landfall and like how easy it is to have landfall pop off is like a bigger problem. It's probably still busted. Like you do lose some of the immediate value, but you're still getting some. Scry one isn't bad, but yeah, I think that the landfall ramp ability is what made Omnath especially devastating. Just like being a free four four, if you can have two lands enter the battlefield, and that's still there. So I think Omnath it is powered down to some extent. Obviously, drawing is better than scrying, but I still think it would be be really uh, really good. I think think that version would be really strong. I think Nexus of Fate gets a ton worse too. Uh, it's still fine seven mana instant speed take an extra turn that's still fine but you wouldn't have nexus.deck anymore without the shuffle back in do it again do it again it 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 would play a ton differently it would play like a traditional extra turn spell rather than its own unique thing that like created its own archetype that took over standard yeah I, i i think this is a lot better uh, for for an extra turn spell. I mean, it is instant speed, so it's still quite powerful, but the fact that it goes away is huge. And on top of that, with us just getting rid of, like, you know, Time Warp, uh, and, and Velomachus can't cast this, so that means that they can't just, like, you know, hit this and go infinite and, and or just kill you in four turns. So, uh, the, you know, maybe Nexus of Fate this time around won't be miserable, uh, but Fires of Invention, I think this card's still pr- really good. Uh, I I think they should have made it a little more uh, taxing on the the cost here. They could have they they could have left it at four if they wanted to, but what they should have done was just made it like triple red. Ooh, I think it, make I it think, make it hard to splash. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think this needs to have more red uh, pips in it here. Uh, either either triple or even all of it can just be red, quad red, and then just leave it at four. Because right now it's just going up double red. Still something you could play. Uh, it being five is a little bit different, but I mean, now you can go and play fires invention, uh, and instead of using like whatever, uh, the, the, the draw through time or dig through, not dig through time, but, uh, the one with the, the fish art on it, I can't remember the four mana sorcery. Uh, but like, instead of that, now you just play fires of invention and you still could play a cavalier. Uh, there's, there's a lot you can still do at five mana and, uh, it's just so, turns slower. Yeah, I think it would. It does power it down to some extent, but I still think it would be pretty, uh, pretty strong at five mana. I have a a more meta perspective question for you because this event has actually led to a pretty big conversation and a lot of controversy. So the question is twofold. So the debate that's going on is. Is this event just a special, fun, quirky event, or is this some sort of test where Wizards is trying to figure out if they should errata cards like this, nerf cards like this, for real, outside of the special event? And secondly, 
What do you think of that idea? Like, is there any merit to, rather than banning Agent of Treachery, just changing the text or making your Field of the Dead legendary or doing these things here for broader magic outside of this special event? So what uh, what do you think about that, Richard? Yes. So I, I think it's <laughs> yeah. both, right? It, it can be a fun event at the same time. They'll look at the data. Uh, but I think for broader magic, I don't think it matters. I, I think Wizards has figured out competitive magic doesn't matter. Balancing standard isn't that important. So why go through the headache of errating cards and affecting casual players, right? Like if you errata a card, this affects the commander table as well, right? Why bother when it's not relevant to your bottom line? So... I would say with Wizards focus on like non-competitive magic and the fact that standard has been bad, but it hasn't affected them in any way. I feel they wouldn't stir the pot here and bother like errating cards. Like, what's the point? What do you think, Grim? I, I OK, so, yeah, I, I think to the first part, yes, they are looking at the, the data from this. But uh, the big thing here is, oh, my God, Wizards finally realized they're the they're a digital game. They have a digital client. They, they've, they are now do, they should have done this a long time ago. And I think they should keep doing this because, uh, paper magic and all that, like, and, and whatnot, like, yeah, like you don't affect the more casual players and whatnot. You can just errata things for like, you know, the, the more, like, I think, I think a lot of digital mag or a lot of competitive magic can go digital, right? Um, and if that's the case, then you just errata things as ne as it needs to be. So this way you can keep your competitive formats or, or, you know, you're like standards and, 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 or, I mean, like digital standard historic and, and, and maybe even other digital formats, uh, to, to like d update it so that it's always changing, uh, and you could fix how you plea, how you want and like do what Hearthstone did whenever anything got too powerful. You could just kind of like, Hey, in the snap of your fingers, we'll just change how it works. And then we're going to see how that runs. And if we don't like it, we roll it back. And then we wait until we figure out how to fix the card again. So I think this is a, a great thing to have happen for digital magic. Uh, at least on Arena. I don't know if Moto will adapt it. But I, I love the idea of just being able to fix things on the go. Uh, it means that, you know, like, you, we don't have to sit around for a thousand years and, 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 and like, wait for a banning. They could just update it in a week. Or, or, or two weeks and then we and yeah roll it back if they don't like it i really oh man if magic was digital only i would i would be totally down with it i do feel like i really want cards to play the same everywhere it would be really really weird to me if like veil of summer was two mana on arena but one mana in paper like something that would just be incredibly incredibly strange to i mean that's just so convoluted and complicated so i tend to lean towards not liking magic, that as magic a solution is already, right now magic's already convoluted and complicated so so i i've seen no real issues with adding just one more my like one more step to it oh I Wait, mean, so, I try to, I, I, I argue that they should do different mulligan rules for different formats because London mulligan rule is bad for modern and wizards like, nah, that's way, that's, that's way too convoluted. So if you can't have a different mulligan rule for modern than for standard, how can you have different cards for different clients? That just seems so over the top to me. But, but what were you saying, Richard? So would it be better to have the card behave the same across digital and paper? So i.e. your paper cards don't do what they read? Or would it be better to have it split where 
they actually just do different things depending if you're playing digital or paper. Like which which ones are you guys advocating for? I like the latter. I I prefer the latter. Uh, being able to, I, I know that it would do something different than the paper version, uh, but but like this is your way of taking advantage of once again a digital space. It gives you way more way like like just way more uh, like wiggle room for for like testing cards out, uh, testing out fixes, and 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 you know it's it's a way to like maybe like spice up the the digital like when standards stale. Or when standard is currently in a rough patch of just like miserable cars, you can change that. I I'm on the other side where I lean towards not doing it at all. Like I love it for the special event, but I lean towards not doing it at all as far as real formats and uh, in the game as a whole. But if they were going to do it, I think I would prefer that cards played the same everywhere even if it made paper a little clunky. And I think I've moved a little bit more in that direction recently just because we keep getting so many changes. We just had 250 cards add Phyrexian added on as a creature type. We have 20 different versions of each card, most of them not even looking like magic cards at all. Like there's already a lot of complexity that's been added in the last couple of years to paper magic cards. So if we did have to do erratas in nerfs, and that's what Wizards decided to do, I would rather... I would rather the card play the same everywhere and people just have to look it up on Scryfall, the gather or whatever and get the, get the Oracle text, which you're going to have to do for some cards anyway. Uh, if you get a, you know, a, a Japanese mystical archive that you can't read and you crack a pack, like, what are you going to do? You're going to look it up on gather. Like that doesn't seem like a huge, huge deal breaker to me at this point, even if it's maybe not completely ideal. Full art cryptic ahead of its time. Ready to get errated with like the fifth clause or something. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. My card supports that. <sighs> interesting. Oh. It'll be interesting. And I will say I'm at least excited to play the event and see like how much these fixes actually matter, like how much do they actually work. So whether or not they implement it wide, I think the event's a cool idea. Yeah. The event the event is pretty cool. I mean, I, I as I said, I, I want this to happen uh throughout like arena. Uh, and, you know, maybe arena can be the testing grounds, right? Like, hey, what if we tried it just for a little bit? Like, see if the cards did different things, right? Like, would would it even affect people uh, on in the world of paper? So, if if they were gonna do it, I, the one place I might be on board would be historic, because historic is already its own weird thing. It doesn't exist in paper. I think my concern would be if you did it for everything. Wouldn't it be super strange if we had an arena tournament and a SCG open on the same weekend that were standard and your deck was playable on arena, but not in paper because your cards didn't work the same? Like that would be really awkward. But I think historic is uniquely situated where you can do whatever you want. Like it's not a paper format. You could make historic versions or whatever. They already put tons of random cards into the format. It's got arena exclusive cards that don't exist in paper are legal and historic, apparently, which I didn't even realize until recently when I came across them in my collection and realized they work. So we're already so far down that road with historic. I guess I would probably be okay with that for historic and specific. Uh, but I mean, what what if like... You know, the SCG event is normal paper rolls, right? And, and like cards function how they read. Uh, but, but that, like, let's say that format, that standard sucks, right? It's absolutely abysmal. But then there's an online tournament and you get to, like, the fixes are actually amazing and, you know, standards like thriving online. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there, there's the, the, what I'm getting at there is like, 
there's a chance that you could fix a dead format or a stale format. Uh, and, and, and it comes at the cost that maybe it doesn't like, you know, it only is online or maybe you have the online changes then transfer over to paper if it's doing well enough. But I, I think that something like this gives us the opportunity to breathe new life into a format. I do Espe- like that aspect, especially if we aren't rotating faster, right? Yeah, I I would rather try like faster rotation or things like that first, because this seems like a, a pretty ex- extreme path to take as far as standard as a whole. But I, I do like fresh formats and that would be appealing to me. I'm just I do think there's a cost to it as far as like just weirdness and complexity. And like you see some streamer playing a cool deck and you're like, well, I want to play that my FNM. And then you go to play the FNM and find out that none of the cards are the same, that they're all different. And that would just be really awkward. My other concern, and we're probably going way too deep into this topic, but I kind of feel like if you know that the cards that you make can change at any time, then you can just print whatever busted thing you want because you figure you'd be able to fix it later. Like, I kind of feel that's what some other games do. So I'd be a little worried that we would get a lot more broken things if Wizards didn't design thinking this card's going to exist for the next 25 years, so we got to get it right. If they're thinking, eh, we can, you know, we can tweak, uh, you know, tweak some things on this card, you know, a couple weeks from now if we go a little too far... I feel like that might lead to us getting a ton of Okos and Uros and Skull Clamps and whatnot. I mean, yeah, there is potential that that could happen. That is true. That is true. But, I mean, I guess I'm more so just on the hopeful side because, like, they've got to do something, right? Like, they, like this this would be this would be great to see, like, the changes happen in person or, it, like, like, happen, like, happen quicker. Uh, but it could lead to Okos. It could lead to more of that. But who knows? Yeah. Who, who knows? What do you think on all this, Richard? You haven't uh, chimed in too much on this one. Any any thoughts? I want my cards to play the same. <laughs> I don't want them to change it. But at the same time, like magic is changing. Uh, if most people are playing on digital, then like paper players shouldn't hold back digital. Uh, yeah. So it's really going to depend on like where this goes. But like Seth said, we have Phyrexian cards. We have Japanese cards. We have cards with text that's not legible. Like, does it really matter anymore? We have dungeons with like 8,000 words on them. Like, yeah, you're going to have to use something to look up card text. Um, so maybe that is fine. I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah. And like, remember, you got to you got you to think of it like this, though, Richard. It, it Also, it, like this is all we've known, right? As in the, this, the way that we've played Magic, it's all we've known. What if we just try this other way? where we have like uh cards that function different online right like we're used to it being the same everywhere but what if this like you know actually works out yeah but i'm i'm i don't have faith in watsi on this like i i feel their efforts are devoted towards commander and secret lair and that doing this requires a lot of change and it could backfire and blow up in their face so i feel like they just won't touch it and they just but they could you know, easily do just universes beyond but they could just they easily can't. digital. It's but right. it's all digital. But you can't just be like, uh, we're changing how magic cards work now, right? And it's all gonna be like this. Um, but maybe like something like Krim was mentioning, they could test it by making this historic event permanent. So you always have this alternate historic queue going, and then if that's popular enough, one day it just replaces the real historic queue. Um, but like I said, I, I think this is a lot of work for them for competitive magic, which I think is not high on their totem pole anymore. 
they're printing just like commander cards and standard sets and printing more secret layers and they probably spent way more time on the classic modules than like actually balancing the, the set so i don't know right I, I feel like their focus is not on top tier competitive formats anymore Oh, well, I think we uh, we probably better leave that topic there. We're getting to the end of our cast. Richard, do we have any fish mail we can sneak in real quick on our way out the door this week? All right. Uh, if you have questions, send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Truth of Wasps, why, have, why not have secret layers funding world's prize pool league and dota do similar things secret layer worlds i mean that, that sounds like a wonderful idea to me i'm pretty sure the answer is uh wizards would or hasbro would prefer the money going in their pockets than going to uh <laughs> the community i think is the the bottom line but yeah that always seemed like an obvious thing to me like i think the community would spend a lot of money on a secret layer to support something like worlds or a big invitational or something but uh but yeah, I mean, in the end, wizards could sell that same secret layer and keep all the profits, and that yeah. seems to be what they choose to do. Exactly. It's like, well, why, why do that when they could just keep all the money, right? I mean, and I, that, I don't, I don't think that's that's something they could easily do, but they won't do. I, I think they should do it. Like, they shouldn't take a generic secret layer. Like, they shouldn't be like, oh, all secret layer money's going to worlds. But they could do like invitational series. Like, you buy, I don't know name some standard staple that's a human except it's Apollo on it now right and then you know 50 percent of the money made for the secret lair goes to world's prize pool right and then you have like a set of like five like big name pros that are headlining the secret lair and for this drop specifically it funds worlds i think if it flops then they know no one cares about worlds and they'll never do it again if it's a success then this is how they fund their like 10 million dollar worlds prize pool or whatever like every year Right. Like this is the reason why Dota uh, can have those giant prize pools, because like people contribute to it uh, by buying stuff. And that is like a guaranteed way to make that. It's like the lottery. Right. The lottery is like very expensive because the money's guaranteed. Right. It's just coming from people. Right. If there's no interest. The lottery is small. If there's a lot of interest, the lottery is big. So same thing here. So I actually do think they should do it. Uh, like bring back invitational cards. Secret Lair. It would, it would also save the PR hit of announcing a million dollar prize pool and then cutting it to $250,000. <laughs> like, it seems like selling a secret lair and making up the difference would would be a good PR move if you had to choose between those two things. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, last question since we're running long. 2D, 2D-dimensional. With MH2 meta starting to settle, which of these cards do you think could see a banning in the next six months? Urza Saga, Raghavan, Asmore... Circle of loyalty. <laughs> I mean, I, I, there's I, only I, one I, answer I, here. We we already know the answer. The most broken card from Magic's most broken set. Circle circle of loyalty, uh, for sure. No, definitely, <laughs> definitely. That is the that is the one that we are writing off immediately. That is totally right, fine. That's the second one on the hit list after this broken card is removed from the format. <laughs> saga, Ragavod, or Saga, Asmore? Saga, hundred percent Saga. Ooh. Uh, I'm gonna go Ragavan. I mean, I I, th- I don't think Asmore's in the conversation uh, for me at this point. Yeah. Uh, if I could, I would choose both uh, of Saga and Ragavan potentially being banned. Ragavan has seen a huge increase in play in just the last couple of weeks. It's the most expensive card of the set. It is seeing a ridiculous amount of play across archetypes. We'll see, but I, I think both of those have 
some shot at being banned in the next six months. Not calling for a banning or anything like that, just so it's clear, but I think there's a chance. I am calling for a banning, and it is on Urza Saga. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think all of them are fine. I think the answer is none, but I actually think Asmore has the greatest chance of eventually getting a ban when we get like really? some critical mass of weird graveyard shenanigans, because it does something like really weird, and it only takes like an additional broken card to break it. Ragavan is just like a quote-unquote fair creature that you can remove. Urza Saga is kind of slow and... I don't know. It's just like value-y, but it's not too much. But like they could print another graveyard card or something to like totally break Asmore. So I feel that's the most dangerous space it's in. The other two are just like quote unquote fair magic cards and it's not too bad. Uh, so that's all the time we have for questions this week. Thank you for everyone who sent them in. If you have questions, send them to at Goldfish with the hashtag mpgfishmail and we get to your questions on air. And I believe that brings us to the end of episode 335 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard Krim, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk about eh, new spoiler cards for sure and whatever else goes on in the world of magic. So, until then, everyone, have a great week. And this is Aku signing out.